Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? We are continuing our studies in what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to uh, stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. And we know God always blesses the reading of His Word. So this morning we're continuing our study in what has become known as the Lord's Prayer, but I think more accurately should be referred to as the Disciples' Prayer, because in it our Lord is giving His disciples and us a teaching device by which we might order and arrange our prayers, by which we might learn to pray. And so after pausing in His presence to, com- uh, to uh, contemplate the God it is to whom we come and what our relationship is with Him, uh, after pausing in His presence to remember the God to whom we pray and our relationship with Him, our Father. He is our Father. By grace, we have been adopted into His family. We've been made children of the living God, but He is our Father who is in heaven, that He is the one who is seated on the throne, the one who inhabits eternity, the one who ought to be approached reverently but confidently, knowing that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. After we uh, pause and remember, the prayer then can be divided into two of three petitions each. The first three relate directly to the glory and purposes of God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And we noticed last week that God's will is done on earth, but we're praying that His will will be done on earth just as it is done by the heavenly creatures in in glory, that it would be done exclusively, completely, immediately, delightfully, and as somebody said to me at the door, um, perfectly. So this prayer then begins with God. It begins with adoration. It begins with His name, His kingdom, and His will. That's where we must begin our praying. Now, if the first three petitions can be grouped together under the word adoration, the second three could be grouped under the word supplication. These three petitions relate to ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. Now, it's amazing how comprehensive those three petitions are. They cover everything. What more does a Christian need than to have his physical needs for sustenance met day by day, to have fellowship with God unmarred, 
with a nagging conscience, forgive us our debts, and then to live a life that is pleasing to God, lead us not into temptation. If a person has these three things, they are the richest people in all the world, aren't they? If he has bread to keep body and soul together, if he has up-to-date forgiveness with God so that he can look into the face of God without blushing, and if he has the grace of God uh, to overcome sin and to uh, flee from temptation, what more does he need than this? He is the richest person in all the world. Now, this morning we come to the first of these three petitions, give us this day our daily bread. And I want you to notice three things, uh, the provision requested, the grace displayed, and the dependence expected. So first of all, then, the provision requested. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, bread was a crucial source of sustenance in the ancient world. Uh, if you were reasonably prosperous, your meals consisted of meat, vegetables, and bread. If you fell on hard times, vegetables and bread, and very hard times, simply bread. If you had no bread, you died. That was the thing. Bread was what stood between you and starvation. Bread was the, uh, the, the uh, source of sustenance for the continuance of life. That's what Jesus meant when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You think that bread is the one thing that keeps you alive. But it's not. You also need every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I suppose bread in the uh, Middle Eastern society was equivalent to, uh, in the first century, was equivalent to the potato in Irish society in the 19th century. When things got hard, the Irish became almost exclusively dependent on the potato. And when the potato harvest failed, there was mass starvation, which led to mass immigration and to death. So, to pray for our daily bread, we are praying then not for luxuries, but necessities. Our grandchildren often mix up the two words, need and want. So, they'll come to you and they will say, grumps. That's what they call me. Sometimes grumps, but mainly grumps. Uh, grumps, I need an ice cream. Now, what they mean is, I want an ice cream, or they might say, Granny, uh, we want a treat. Or, not sorry, we want a treat. We need a treat. Uh, they mix uh, want and need up. And there are many Christians like that. They mix want and need. Jesus is teaching us to, to pray for the necessities, the things that are absolutely essential to keep us alive. He's teaching us to pray about our, uh, our need, not our, our, our greed. So we do not pray for whipped cream and pavlova. We do not pray for uh, gourmet meals and a fantastic wardrobe, expensive cars and luxury holidays, bigger homes and better jobs, but we pray for our daily bread. Now, if God gives us those things, that's good. There was a book published uh, at the end of the, the 70s into the early 80s by uh, a Christian theologian, an evangelical theologian, but also a socialist, uh, Ronald Snyder, rich uh, Christians in an age of hunger. And he really, basically in that book, tried to make Christians feel guilty about 
being wealthy. But Paul could say, I've learned the secret of being content, Philippians 4, in any and every situation. I know what it is to be in want, and I know what it is Well, the authorized version says, I know what it is to abound. And you have to remember that uh, Abraham was a very uh, wealthy man, and Job was wealthier at the end of his trials than at the beginning of his trials. So, in the ancient world, it was no empty rhetoric to pray in this way, give us our our daily bread, but uh, we're praying for essentials, not a luxuries. Now, because we live in an affluent society that will not let us starve or even perhaps become homeless, we have to work hard at cultivating a, a sense of dependence upon God for our daily needs. Uh, to quote Derek Thomas, that we have to see in every loaf of bread the sovereign providence of God. You know, this Scottish preacher who went in to take an assembly in a school in the Highlands, and he held up a loaf of bread, and he says, where did this come from? And somebody said, the baker baked it. And where did the flour come for the baker to bake? And they said, well, the, the, the miller ground it. And where did the miller get it? Well, the farmer grew it. And and eventually brought them back to that point that they had to acknowledge that it was God who sent the rain, God who uh, sent the sunshine, that God sent the harvest. You see, we're, we're so slow to acknowledge that behind every means that God uses to put bread on our table, there is the sovereign hand of God, the sovereign grace of God. I've told you the story about Uh, before that Dale Ralph Davies quotes in one of his commentaries, and I can't remember which one, about the southern, uh, the black woman in in the southern states of America, and her husband had died, and she was reduced to absolute poverty, and she was out on the veranda uh, praying that God would send her bread, give us this day our daily bread, and her next-door neighbor was an old hardened atheist, and he uh, peeped over the fence and heard her pray and he said, I'll teach her a lesson. And he went out and brought, uh, bought two loaves of bread, put it on the veranda. And in the morning when she came out, she fell to her knees and she started to praise God for the provision of the bread. And he leaned over the fence or popped his head over the fence. And he says, well, he says, now I've, uh, I've got you. She said, God, he said, God didn't send that bread. I bought that bread and I delivered that bread. And she looked up and said, oh, God has answered my prayer. He sent me the bread. He's just used the devil to deliver it. (laughs) That everything comes from God. And you say, well, look, look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've achieved. Look at the things that I've bought. Look at the comforts that I enjoy. I've, I've earned these all by my own ingenuity, by the sweat of my brow, by my own head, hard work. Oh, really? Oh, really? Who put breath in your body? Who gave you the health to work? Why aren't you lying somewhere paralyzed from the neck down? Because of God's goodness. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. It is He who gives you the power to get wealth. Or 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? 
And the answer to that question is absolutely nothing. Because James 1 and uh, and verse 17 tells us that every good and perfect gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Now that might That gift might come through the hand of your employer or the sweat of your labor, but its ultimate source is from God. And we need to work hard that we become consciously aware that every gift, every gift is from Him. Now, some commentators believe that this petition covers not only food, but all our temporal needs and requirements. It was Martin Luther who said, bread covers everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. All is included here. Life may not be so precarious in our Western 21st century world as it was in an Eastern 1st century world, but He is the ultimate provider of all that we have and all that we enjoy. At any time, God could take these things away from us. He could withhold the sun and its influence. He could stop the rain or He could send a flood. He could send famine. And even today's farmer, with all his modern machinery and, uh, and fertilizer, couldn't raise a crop. He could take away health. He could take away strength. He could take away our family. He could uh, cause social upheaval in government because all these good gifts come uh, from Him. Now, if I pray this prayer with sincerity, two things will happen. That I will be consciously aware that everything I have is from Him. Everything I have is from Him. And I will be filled with a gratitude and a thankfulness for all the good gifts that He bestows upon us. And that's why, that's why I think it's good to give thanks for meals. And sure, it is often routine and perfunctory, but as a family, I think it's important that you bow your heads, maybe not for every meal, but at least the main meal of the day, and give thanks to God for the good gifts that He has bestowed upon you the provision requested. The second thing I want you to notice is the grace displayed. I want you to notice the position of this petition. Uh, It comes after hallowing the name of God, praying for the coming of His kingdom, and praying for the uh, exercise of His will. It comes before the forgiveness of our sins and our deliverance from evil. Now, most of the early church fathers couldn't accept that Jesus here was speaking of something so mundane as bread. After praying about His name, His kingdom, and His will, it seemed inappropriate to them to pray for something uh, so mundane as bread. And then to put our physical needs before our spiritual needs the forgiveness of our sins and deliverance from evil seemed almost blasphemous. And so many of the uh, early church fathers spiritualized this petition. So Augustine thought it referred to the bread of the Word of God. Jerome thought it referred to the bread of the communion feast. And uh, it was Calvin who brought us back to earth again and said, don't be so absurd. Bread is bread. Well, if it is bread, 
Why does it appear before the forgiveness of sins and our deliverance from evil? Well, if you think about it for a moment, our Lord is perfectly right in that. Food is our most basic need. If we're going to continue to live in this world, having our sins forgiven and experiencing deliverance from evil, we must be kept alive. Food is our most basic need. If I die as a Christian and go to heaven, do I need to pray for the forgiveness of sins? And do I need to pray for deliverance from evil? Not at all. But it's in this world I pray for such things. If I am to uh, live in the world, I need to be kept alive in the world. Is that clear? Food is our most basic need. Samuel Johnson, the 18th century diarist and essayist and uh, travel writer, made some interesting comments about the Giant's Causeway. Uh, When someone criticized him uh, that he cared for his stomach too much, he, he replied that he who did not care for his stomach would soon find himself uh, in a position where he couldn't care for much else. That's why we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Well, others object and say the fact that this petition immediately follows um, petitions about his name, his kingdom, and his will, that just seems a bit unspiritual. But that is the grace of God, that after worshiping God and praying about His name, that His name might be held in the highest honor in my heart and in our world, that that He might be adored as He rightfully ought to be adored, worshiped and praised and exalted, that God would come in mercy and extend his kingdom into the hearts of men and women and boys and girls as they repent and believe the gospel and submit to the kingly rule of Christ, that God would give us obedience that at least dimly and palely would reflect the obedience of the angelic hosts of heaven, that after that uh, um, uh, lofty and God-exalted exalting worship, Jesus tells me to pray for something as ordinary and mundane as bread. That's wonderful. What a wonderful picture of God. His glory, His kingdom, His will, my bread. And our Lord is wanting to teach us that although God is the great transcendent, majestic, sovereign God before whom the seraphim feel their faces and their, their feet and cry out continually, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that such a great God is interested in the little things of my life, like my daily bread, that the God who is creator and sustainer of all things, the God who is forming His eternal kingdom in the world, the one who is exercising His will and ruling from His throne, that such a God is interested in the minutest details of my life, my physical needs, like the bread on my table. That's staggering, and that's remarkable. Turn back with me for a moment to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. Isaiah 40 and verse 9. Go on, 
uh, up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up, lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. And then, verse 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them to His bosom and gently lead those who are young. Do you see that? Do you see the weight of the context from the lofty, these lofty concepts of a high and holy God who is the powerful uh, judge of all the world? He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. It's a bit like um, Elijah. You remember Elijah in 1 Kings 18. He calls fire down from heaven uh, to demonstrate that Yahweh is God and, and, and uh, at least extracts a, an external acknowledgement from the people that Yahweh is God. And the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Asher are slaughtered and uh, fire comes from heaven. And in that dramatic scene then, he, from that dramatic scene, he flees and he comes to a broom tree, a tiny uh, little oasis in the desert, a juniper tree, and he, he sits under it discouraged and downhearted and prays that he might die. And the angel of Jehovah comes and wakes him. And there's a jar of water. And there are some hot cakes for him. That God is interested in the ordinary little details of our life. You remember Psalm 8 from Tuesday night? Jamie's exposition. What is man that you are mindful of him? the Son of Man that you care for. And when I consider your heavens, the sun and moon, and the stars that you have set in place, when I think of you as the great Creator God, what is, what is man that you are mindful of Him? And the Son of Man that you care for Him. Hallowed be your name. Give me this day my daily bread. God is graciously concerned about this area of our lives, something as basic as our physical uh, subsistence, uh, uh, and, uh, and He's interested in all of those details. Do you not see the grace and compassion and the tenderness of God? That although He is the one who upholds eternity, He's interested in the trivial details of my life. You know, sometimes pastors are criticized, or pastors, not, they're, they're not so much criticized. They criticize their congregations. shouldn't tell you that, but sometimes they do. And one of the things that they criticize their congregations for is the prayer meeting, that they come to the prayer meeting and all the prayers center on Mary's big toe or Jack's ingrown toenail, and they pray about all those things, and there's a world that's perishing, and they don't mention that, and they don't worship um, in the way that they ought to. They don't pray for the big things. But God is interested in the little things as well as the big things. We do pray, hallowed be the name of God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We do pray about those things. But He's interested in Mary's big toe 
And he's interested in Jack's ingrown toenail. He's interested in all those, those things. He's interested in our heartache and our heartbreak and the difficulties that we encounter and the grief that we experience and, and the illness that we face and the redundancy that's coming our way. He's, he's interested in all of those things. And, and notice the plural. Give us this day our daily bread. These are prayers given given not only for the individual, but for the corporate people of God. And we should be bringing those things to God in prayer, all the trivial details of our lives. The provision requested, the grace displayed, the dependence expected, thirdly. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Now, that word daily here occurs very rarely in Greek. In fact, it's only found in one other place outside this prayer in all of Greek literature, both classical and sacred. Only once does it appear elsewhere. And added to that, there are, uh, it's a notoriously difficult phrase to translate. One scholarly Christian said he found no less than 30 explanations as to this particular word. This word can mean give us enough bread for today, or it may mean give us enough bread for the coming day. I'll not weary you with all the explanations and interpretations, but just let me quote one New Testament scholar, A.M. Hunter, and he says, used in the morning, this petition would ask for the day just beginning. Used in the evening, it would pray for tomorrow's bread. Thus, we are to live a day at a time. Do you see what the point is? Daily we are to pray. Daily we are to bring our temporal needs before God. Give us our weekly bread? No. Give us our monthly bread? No. Give us our annual bread? No. Give us this uh, day our daily bread. We are to pray continually. We are to pray uh, daily. Now, uh, we, we, we know that about uh, spiritual blessings, don't we? Uh, A.B. Simpson gives the illustration of um, um, that when God saves us, He doesn't give us a, a huge resource, a huge lump of grace that we live off for the rest of of our lives. That grace comes in daily installments, that uh, we approach Him for fresh grace, for daily grace. It's the difference between a diesel train and an electric train. A diesel train has a huge supply of, of, of diesel and sets off on the journey drawn on that supply. The uh, electric train the contact has to be made between the train and the overhead lines. And if that uh, contact is broken, the train comes to a stop. And, and God doesn't give us grace in one vast lump. He doesn't give all His gifts in one vast lump. He uh, expects us to come to Him continually uh, seeking that grace. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that was true then for most of the uh, people in the early church because the majority of them were slaves or drawn from the lower strata of society. And uh, if they didn't have bread that day, they, they wouldn't eat that day. So, so in 
the, the early church, there was this conscious dependence upon God for everything that they had to approach Him daily. Now, it's so much more difficult for us because we have our bread, or so we think, all sorted out for years to come. We have our investments, we have our savings, we have our insurance policies, and we have our pensions. And those things aren't wrong in themselves. It's good to make provision for the future. But one thing it can do is undermine this sense of dependence upon God and the need to come daily before His throne to seek His face for those things that sustain life and are necessary for life. And I think in our society, we have to consciously work at that sense of being absolutely dependent upon God, so that you think about your health, and you think about your children, and you think about your job, and that you realize that you live a very precarious life because at any time, any of those things can be taken away from you. And so you come to God continually expressing your dependence upon Him, not just uh, for the food that you eat, but for the life that you live, for the work that you have, for the clearness of mind that you enjoy, for the family that you have, for the partner that you have, that you come conscious that every good and perfect gift is from Him and that you are absolutely dependent upon Him for all things. You know, it, our Lord says to the church in Laodicea, uh, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, but you do not realize how pitiable, blind, uh, naked you are. Sometimes we don't realize how vulnerable we are and how dependent upon God we are, that life hangs by a single thread. And at any time, that thread could be broken, or uh, our supports in this life could be taken away. And it's, it's creating that. And sometimes, sometimes God takes those supports away so that we might be, um, that we might cast ourselves afresh upon Him. And there's some of you this morning here that are, are, are not Christians. Um, you've never trusted the Lord. You've never repented of your sin. You've never faced up to the problem of sin and put your faith in Christ. Do, do you realize that the only reason that you live is because of the grace of God? That you're absolutely dependent upon Him. That he, it is He who has spared your life. The reason that you're not swallowed up in the wrath of God and taken immediately to hell it's because of His grace. The reason you have food on your table, the reason that you have a family to love you and care for you, the reason that you have a, a job to work at is all because of His kindness to you. And then does that not highlight how sinful, how rebellious, how um, treasonous you are to reject the Lord Jesus. You know that indictment in Romans 1 about the ungodly, they neither uh, loved Him or give thanks to Him. They never give thanks to Him. And to reject Jesus Christ and the salvation that He offers is probably the greatest 
act of recklessness that you can ever create because it's a refusal to give thanks for God's greatest gift, the gift of Jesus Christ Himself. And I just want you to, to, I want us all to feel how precarious life is, that every good and perfect gift is from above. And at any moment, those gifts could be taken away. Does that not mean that daily we should express this utter utter dependence upon Him and thank Him for who He is and thank Him for all that He has done for us and come to Him and accept the greatest gift that He has given His Son, Jesus Christ, and, and put your trust in Him. How arrogant, how unthankful to refuse God's greatest gift, the gift of Jesus Christ Himself. Amen.